Our global yoga community means the world to us. And during these uncertain times, it's important that we support each other now more than ever. So if you haven't already, please check out and support the COVID-19 Yoga Teachers and Studio Support Fund, which has been set up by the yoga mat company Lifeform, who have donated a whole month's worth of profits to get this fund going. And you can donate to support yoga teachers and studios in need right now. And you can nominate a teacher or studio in your local area to potentially receive an award from this fund. Now it's open to everyone, to anywhere in the world, and to find out more, please visit yogasupportfund.com. Welcome to Child's Pose, a yoga podcast hosted by me, Michael James Wong, teacher, author, and founder of Just Breathe, Boys of Yoga, and Sunday School Yoga. Now this podcast aims to deepen your understanding, expand your perspective, and inspire your yoga practice. As I speak to teachers, community leaders, experts, and also ordinary practitioners about the topics and techniques that have evolved and progressed over the years. From the evolution of alignment, to the joys of practicing at home and now online, to what yoga means to the next generation of teachers. My hope with this podcast is that I can share the wisdom from those early years through conversations with some of the pioneers of the practice, but also speak to the next generation of teachers who are doing their part to keep yoga relevant in the real world. So join me each week as we deepen our understanding, expand our perspective, inspire our practice, and discuss yoga. Past, present, and wherever it's going next. Child's Pose. Let's begin. Hey guys, on today's episode of Child's Pose, I'm speaking to Ian Finn, founder and creator of Blissology, which is a practice and a system about making the world a better place by bringing more awe and joy and ultimately bliss into the world. He celebrates that interconnectedness between our minds and our bodies and our hearts and really begs the question to ask, what do we have to offer nature and our community and what does it offer us in return? I've known Ian for many years and I admire him as a teacher and as a human being and all that he does with his community and celebrating this sense of belonging together. And so this is the conversation that I had with Ian while he is bunkered down in Bali and looking forward to seeing what you guys think and sharing his perspectives. So this is the chat with Ian Finn. I mean, I've been really excited to catch up with you since we kind of made plans to get you on. And so it's really nice to have a chat and to, to spend some time talking about teaching and the values that are important for you. And, and on this episode, what we're really going to lean into is just this idea of the importance of community when it comes to teaching yoga and um, finding a belonging, being a part of something, creating something. And so what I wanted to ask you and, th and kind of go straight into it with you is I, I have this kind of really warm feeling about Ian Finn, someone who builds community, someone who really is um, you know, responsible for his community and for kind of what it represents. Where did this all come from? How did this all come as a big part of your teaching? 
you know, right now all our programs are online, uh, this current era we're in right now. And um, it's important to have the community element to it. And obviously digital offerings aren't the easiest way to um, build community. Just going through what I'm going through, it really makes me realize how essential community is to me and I would, I would, and actually, by the way, I'm really surprised at how much you can build community in an online network if you are really concerned with that. I mean, but going back to the roots of it, um, I mean, I love people and, you know, in our training and blissology, you know, we are, are kind of three pillars are yoga, nature, and community. And blissology is obviously the art of happiness. And I believe that to be happy, um, you need to feel like you belong to a community. It's the it's the cornerstone for happiness. I mean, you can look at people all around the world for tens of thousands of years, and they were quite happy, and they probably didn't know anything about triangle pose or the pranayama technique, but they belonged to a um, to a group of people that they cared about and that who cared about them and um yeah i mean so if you can combine that with a connection to nature and a connection to yoga um it's kind of the trifecta so um yeah that's that's why um i, I mean i'll just tell you a real quick story i went to university in france oh, and really? i yeah yeah in nice and then i would go on vacation i was a surfer um, so I go surfing in Portugal, and I was a yogi back then. But it's when I really got clear on this is when I would sit in these little fishing villages, and I would, you know, I look at people's faces and their eyes. I look at people's eyes a lot to just as a general gauge of health. And I would see these men in Portugal, and they were smokers, and they were drinking port, <laughs> uh, you know. But they're out, you know, they had to be like eighty. 75, 80 years old, and they're out, you know, playing backgammon and like patons, like it's the, the bowling thing that they play, and they had so much life to them, and I just realized like, oh my God, where I live, I don't even see old people on the streets ever, and I really realized like, this is it, like if you can belong to people, this is the foundation for happiness, and it really made me commit it to like, I've got to make sure that you know, we live in a fragmented world where we send old people to places where we don't see them anymore. They're kind of out of our hair and we are dissociated from so many people in our community. <clears throat> you know, it's normal not to know your neighbors. So to me, it was essential for blissology. I'm like, we need to build community first and foremost. Yeah, that's a great story. And and I totally yeah. agree. And and I think that is one of these things that as we kind of move through the path of teaching is to remember that actually maybe um you know, there's an aspect of the knowledge and the wisdom that we gain and that we share, but actually the uh, service and responsibility that we have to create a welcoming belonging for other people, which I think is Yeah. is do, do you do you I mean, this here's a question. Do, do you think that is an essential aspect to teaching. Do you think that is, let's call it, you know, the essential ingredients to teaching? Yeah, a hundred percent. In fact, actually when people come to my classes, uh, what I tell them is you've 
come to a class. I mean, I might not use the word community exactly, but what I tell them is you've come to a class about connection where we do yoga. It's not nice. a yoga class where we fit in a little bit of connection. Primarily, fundamentally, you are here to connect with other people. I, just, I don't say much more than that, but if I could, I would say it doesn't mean you have to talk to people about the weather. You might have had a really draining day and you don't have to talk to people, but what I'm saying is that when we are, we're in so many cities, the signal energetically that we broadcast is just stay away from me, don't bug me, I won't bug you, and we'll get along great. And we are suffering because we're broadcasting that signal. And so I, I, I just truly believe that connection is the most important thing. And I have to say that because we do things like we start every class with hugs. I mean, in a non-distant, non-social distancing yeah. time, yeah, yeah. and we celebrate people. We give them high fives when they do things. We come together in a circle at the end, and so I need to kind of preface it that way because a lot of people just go to yoga class to get their sweat on or their zen on, and it kind of can be jolting. So I need to mm. just kind of let them know, like, okay, be a little bit prepared for this. So when it comes, you're not jolted out of what you're expecting. Okay, so that's interesting. So, so is that something you kind of op- or an open class with, or kind of early on mention that you know this class is about connection? So you know, don't be too alarmed if you you see a, a high five coming your way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally. Uh, that's exactly it. I mean, when I when we do our trainings in blissology, like I say, it's about happiness, and it's about fixing this course that we all accept as normal. You know, the word I use is dissociation. We're dissociated from our food. We're dissociated from our purpose. We're dissociated from nature. We're dissociated from our community. And, you know, we got to fix that if we're going to be happy and if we're going to leave a legacy of positivity out there in the world. Mm, that's really nice. And, I mean, for, for those of people who are listening who aren't um, familiar with kind of blissology, or, you know, the work that, that Ian does, I mean, you are arguably, I'm going to say, one of the more well-traveled teachers out there who spends a lot of time on the road, obviously before all this, and, and stepping into different communities and different cultures. Have you? My question is, have you found lots of similarities between different places, or are they drastically different when it comes to kind of people coming together? Well, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is just what a bubble the yoga, I mean, I'm part of the yoga community, so, mm. you know, I'll go to Dallas, Texas, and I'll be like, wow, there's a lot of vegans in Dallas, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, um, so, you know, we're all, we're all in our little bubbles a little bit, so it's hard, I, mean, I, I in that sense, I find people similar everywhere I go, uh, like definitely attracts like, you know, um, and you know, it's interesting being in Bali right now. Um, you know, I'd say I'd say this is a place that's different, in the sense that, you know, you you still are connected to your family. You're still connected to your community. I mean, every time there's literally a full moon or no moon, you go to the temple with your family and your community. Mm. Like it's 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 strong. And that's one of the, I mean, if you walk around here, people are happy. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, it's not, it's, and it's not government services to help you out, like through 
you know, I don't, I don't even know if it's like a really well fleshed out welfare system or something. You just really rely on your community in all ways. And that's the way it you know, kind of used to be pre-industrial revolution for us. And uh, we're products of the industrial revolution mm. in, in a not good way. But, I mean, what, a book that I'd recommend everyone read, or if you can't read the whole book, pick up uh, Sapiens, and I believe it's chapter 17 about the Industrial Revolution. And the point is actually incredible, you know, just how much your family was your bank, your family was your welfare system, your family was your doctor. <laughs> you know, like if you needed a loan, you didn't go to a bank, you know, you went to your family. And and now this fragmented way we're living, you know, we're literally you don't know your neighbor, you get I, I barely, I don't get to see my family often enough, you know, and a mm. lot of people feel that way. And it's just, I, I feel like we're suffering as a culture by, because we accept this as normal. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's so very true. I think maybe in this moment right now during lockdown and isolation, there has been, I'd, I'd love to say a little resurgence of reconnection, even though digitally mm-hmm. and online, you know, people are, you know, I know for me, you know, reaching back out to old friends, spending more time chatting to family and I think it's it is really nice in that sense and I think as a teacher it can all circle back to this really beautiful um kind of remembrance of how important connection is which which is you know as we've been saying is an essential aspect to teaching and I think maybe sometimes especially and I'm gonna put it more in let's say the 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 modern era of yoga and yoga teaching and and maybe you can kind of Tell me what you think based on, on, you know, I know you do quite a lot of trainings with, with new teachers and developing teachers that we can sometimes get lost in the information of I need to be really good at, you know, my anatomy. I need to be really great at sequencing. And arguably those things are very important. But, you know, learning to cultivate skills of connection, learning to uh, have little tricks of the trade, like you were saying, uh, of, uh, you know, almost inviting people to connect without even realizing it. I mean, what types of other things maybe um, are important or what other types of tricks do you use um, or share with some of your students? Well, I think ultimately, you know, you got to get down to energy. I mean, we broadcast a frequency. I mean, animals feel it when they're around us. And my defin- and, and I know we use the word energy all the time in yoga. And my definition of a, of a flake is somebody who uses words, but they don't know what they mean. So just to qualify what I mean when I say energy is my definition of energy is subtle communication systems. So we give off subtle signals all the time. And, you know, it has to start there. You have to actually broadcast a signal of, I care about you. I am here for you. I am, you know, you're a beacon of kindness and, and, and a beacon of connection. And, you know, to do that, we have to become more present. And to become more present, we need to really learn how to kind of self-regulate our bodies towards peace. So we need to learn how to, for me anyway, to embody and feel where there's tightness and tension stored in our body and to soften into that um, so that we're not blocked. And when we soften places in their body, places of tension, then again, we become more present just to reverse engineer all this. And when we become more present, we open up more to the experience of energy. 
and we realize that we're giving off signals that either cancels out, like you know, just like grade school physics, like uh, we, it either cancels out someone else's frequency or it amplifies it, and we need to get people into situations where we're actually amplifying each other's frequencies through the same process of like feel where you're tight, feel where you're open, move to a place of expansion, become more present, more sensitive, but don't let presence be the end goal. You want to broadcast this signal of kindness, of love, that, that and that's ultimately what you know attracts community together. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I mean, that's a really uh, beautiful way of looking at it. And and thank you for sharing. And I and it's kind of, for me, it's it's you know I feel quite lucky to kind of get this inside glimpse at blissology and, and the way that you guys really share. Um, and I was thinking actually before we jumped on this chat and uh, knowing what I know about you and blissology and this aspect of yoga and community and nature, nature being one of the the big or the key pillars within the methodologies and the way that you look at the practice, where did that come from? And how does that kind of link into all this? Because I think maybe for a lot of people listening, it could seem, uh, I'm not going to say uh, out there because it can, you know, as a natural integration, but to make it such a core pillar, where did, where, where and how does that work within all this? Yeah, great. Yeah. I was all excited about the uh, other pillar, like community thing. Yeah. But nature, um, I mean, it's funny because, uh, you know, Joseph Campbell has a site, this term, the invisible hand theory, and you get to a certain place in your life and you look back on your life and you go, my God, there's been and this invisible hand pushing me to this point <laughs> where I am right now. And I wasn't even super aware of it when I was younger, but now that I look back, and when I say younger, I mean like a teenager. Um, but now that I look back on it, I was really, you know, there's there's a couple of big questions I'm trying to answer my whole life. And, and one of them is, what is love? And the other one is, what exactly happens physiologically, psychologically, spiritually, when we get quiet and present in nature? What happens when we become right. quiet and present in nature? And actually, I what I've realized is that, by the way, what is love and what happens when we become quiet and present in nature is like actually the same question. When we become quiet and present in nature, nature feels really big and we feel really small. And this is what the yogis wanted us to feel in the first place. Like, don't let your ego become so big. And as a culture, we've, we, we're in a state of hubris where our egos are so big and nature is just this thing to dominate. And, but when you actually get quiet and still out there, you realize, oh my God, I'm so grateful to be a part of something so beautiful. Mm. And so, you know, that, that's actually oddly, that's what led me to yoga. <laughs> it's not like, oh, I got right. into yoga. Oh, how can I fit nature in? It was, it was, that was my doorway. That was my portal that I entered answering that question. What happens when we're quiet and present in nature? And back to Joseph Campbell, what he said is like the Native Americans have this idea of you don't have to go to Mecca. You don't have to go to a temple. You don't have to go even to a yoga studio. You just sit in nature and, and the great spirit will come to you. 
And I was like, oh, I mean, I was, you know, when I was reading this stuff, I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And I was like, man, this is way better than what I'm hearing at my grandparents' church. And what Joseph Campbell said is, look, if you, if you want the systematic mystical experience that these people are having, you, then you need to study yoga. And I was like, yoga, what's that? And so that led me to the study of yoga. But it was actually through trying to unpack what I was feeling when I get quiet out in nature. And what was that like in nature for you? Was that you, you grew up as a surfer, you grew up in the woods, you grew up in the mountains. Like, what, what was your actual tangible connection to nature? I mean, I, I, I grew up in Canada. I grew up in a small town, and I grew up on a lake. And I had, you know, I, I would spend a lot of time in the forest, and I was a boy, obviously, and I would do a lot of, you know, building forts and gunfights, you know, play toy gunfights, obviously, and, um, and, you know, boy things. And even though I had this rambunctious energy, um, there would just be times when I'd be around such incredible beauty. And actually, most of the beauty was just simple things like a butterfly or mm. watching the wind blow on the on the lake and make a pattern or a sunset. These things would just stop me. And I mean, obviously, the first thing I would feel now that I have words for it is a deep presence and which is an incredible skill you know for any person to feel like nature makes us so present if we allow it and then i just felt my highest vibrational self i mean uh gratitude i felt like there was way more to this life than i could see and um that there was just so much beauty out there and that beauty was inside of me and when I would see the beauty out there, it would remind me of the beauty inside of my own heart. And mm-hmm. I was clear on this when I was, I remember, I remember eight, nine years old, just going like, what is going on here? Standing in, in nature, trying to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of this kind of, um, this sentiment that, that I've always believed in and, and always been told and shared was, just this idea that because you, I just remember a moment ago you just said you didn't have words to 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 put to it, and it's kind of yeah. nature. Being in nature is one of the uh, few times in our lives that the most profound moments are indescribable, right? Almost in that sense, mm-hmm. of there are no words needed, and there are no words that can actually articulate what it means to stand with your face in the sunshine to put your feet in in the lake and just feel something right words would not do justice to the feeling yeah and i think that's really you know uh you know i think i remember i mean i remember the first time that i had this type of discussion of of you know someone saying you know nature is the definition of indescribable but profoundly present exactly that's it and um you know, I just look at the, I, I, I look at, um, you know, the time we're going through right now with so many people locked in apartments in big cities, and I'm just like, these people got to get onto nature. There's no way we can be well yeah. without this connection, you know. But is there ways that we can bring nature back within us without actually, I mean, let's call it within, let's call the obvious what it is. Some people in cities can't just jump on a plane to Bali, can't yeah. just head out to the yeah. mountains. 
How can we bring nature into us without being in the presence of it? No, it's an amazing question. And it's kind of in a way, I, my analogy for this is bird sounds. I mean, if you go out into a forest, it's easy to hear bird sounds. But the thing is, when you go into a city, you can actually still hear bird sounds. You just have to listen harder for it, if, if you get what I'm saying. And so when you go out into nature, something hits you in the face, like a frying pan. It's like, oh, my God, there's something amazing happening right now. But it still exists in cities, but you just have to extrapolate to get to it. And, you know, it's it can be something simple, like literally, literally a plant on your balcony. Um, what, I, what One thing I tell people a lot is we can't pave over the sky yet and or put neon signs on the sky yet. So, I mean, I, I spent plenty of time in, you know, the New Yorks and Hong Kongs and stuff like that. And, and so I go through these experiences there. And um, yeah, I, I mean, just even if you're on the 30th floor of an apartment building, like just spend time, get slow and look at the sky. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember listening to this NPR program and it was with a taxi driver and they were talking to the taxi driver about um, this his favorite fares he's ever had. He goes, yeah, my favorite person I ever picked up was this blind woman. And we were having a conversation about what it was like not to see. And he asked her, you know, if you could see anything, what would you want to see? And she said, clouds. I would love to see clouds. I've never seen clouds in my whole life. Right. But I imagine them as God's thoughts. And I was just like, oh, my God, man. Like, Hong Kong, I don't care, 30th floor, Bombay, like, you are, like, just look up and you'll see God's thoughts, and and it's it's there, you know, so you just have to look that little bit harder for it. Mm. And, I mean, my second way, too, is, like, breathing. Breathing is another way. Okay. Because, like, when you, every time you breathe in, I mean, we know this in grade school, but to actually just slow down enough that you can feel it at the heart level, not at the cerebral level, like, you're actually breathing in you're giving a byproduct of photosynthesis and it's coming in to feed your cells so you can actually uh, make energy from the food that you're eating, which came from the green things out there in the first place. I mean, there's basically nothing more intimate that connects you to nature more than breathing. And it doesn't matter where you live. I mean, that is just so hard. You can't, you can't breathe in and not be part of, of nature, so um, just to get that extra level, and when you do your inhale and exhale, to calm down, to just be like, "Thank you, trees. Thank you, plankton. You know, for this gift." Mm. And I think that's really a, a really beautiful realization, and especially for for teachers listening to this and teachers thinking maybe, okay, well, you know, I, I feel really strongly connected to the idea of nature being essential to our well-being and our essential to our practice. But then thinking, okay, well, how can I actually use this uh, as a way to be of service? And just the way that you've said that of, you know, breathing in and out, thanking the trees, thanking the plankton, you know, using that as kind of the the point of connection for everyone. Because I would hope to think that everyone, not just in a in a in a in a yoga class, but everyone in the world can have a positive relationship and connection to something in nature. Hundred percent. 
yeah, it's we have to. Hmm. I mean, are there are there things that you you kind of lead as ways that um, teachers can can bring kind of these thoughts and 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 ideologies into their teachings quite specifically? Oh yeah, I mean, I do I do a whole week long module called Yogic by Nature. Right. If you do have access to nature, like do I mean, what what we do is we I always whenever we do this course we I always make sure it happens somewhere beautiful. And I mean, my favorite form of meditation, and, and what I realized is I don't even call it meditation, because when, when I tell people we're going to practice meditation, they kind of, they, they get ready for a lot of heavy lifting, like, oh, meditation, right, that's going to be hard, and I got to get my game face on and be super serious, and I'm going to put my timer on and meditate for 10 minutes, and like, don't, like, I don't want to have that attitude what I want you to do is to go out into nature and just lose the crush of time and remove the glass, so to speak, the metaphorical glass between you and life. And and people are like, you mean I can look at crabs? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look at <laughs> crabs, like, like watch them and don't be anywhere else. Just like get lost. And the crabs like I can look at bees. I'm like, yeah, look at the bees, man. Like just, and and they're like, that's so easy. I'm like, I know it doesn't have to be hard. Like we're as human beings, we think that meditation has to be super hard. I'm just like, I, and that's why the word, term I use for it is just nature appreciation moments. Just go out, get quiet, uh, and then like the kind of four step process is relax. So you just relax your body, breathe, mm-hmm. and then observe something beautiful. And when you observe something beautiful, the fourth one is receive, relax, breathe, observe, receive. And you will, I call it the transmission of the beautiful. You will feel something so incredible. Um, so like here in Bali, um, I've committed to, you know, 30 minutes every day, just sitting, staring blankly out into the ocean. I'm sorry, twice a day, 30 minutes, just emptying my thoughts and just looking out to the ocean kind of write, a, I'm writing a whole book about it, but what is connection to nature thing? Yeah, but, but just, it's amazing what happens. It's incredible, like how uplifting it is. And I feel like that should be a whole form of, of, like I say, meditation, if you want to call it that. That's, I don't know, I find it actually, I, it works for me, you know, I just, and so I want to share it. And, you know, different people are going to find different, like that's the thing about meditation, everyone has to find their language that works for them and mm. so for people who do enjoy that path i want to flesh it out more for them yeah and i think that's really important as well you know realizing that there is no one single path and that we can yeah. find our way to presence and awareness um in many different ways but i think it's also important to be inspired by people like yourself or practices like that are in nature yeah. to give people permission because I think a lot of times we can get caught in esoteric uh, structure saying this is this is what it is and that is not what it is as opposed yeah. to you know trying to define ultimately the benefit of presence by trying to limit people yeah exactly that's it This podcast is part of Sunday School Yoga, 
an international teachers community, an online teacher training platform, supporting new and developing teachers as they learn, share, and grow together. So make sure you check out sundayschoolyoga.com to find out more about how to get involved and to explore the growing selection of online courses you can enroll in from anywhere in the world. I mean, for you, what, what doesn't work? I mean, what, what, what have you learned in the years within, let's call it maybe more of a classical structure or a folklore of yoga that, that just doesn't work for you? I think everything works. I would say what doesn't work as well, maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, well, okay. I can only tell you from my own experience, right? I've been practicing oh, exactly. meditation That's... for 32 years now. Um, and <laughs> sounds funny. And maybe even a little bit like heresy, but but I'll unpack it a bit more. But um, sure. I think the hardest meditation advice is yoga shit vritti nirodha. <laughs> Like, right. Okay. To, like to sit down and stop thinking. Just you know, it, it, I, I'm assuming everyone knows that, but just for the few people that don't, it just means like second sutra. I mean, actually, if you unpack the first four sutras, it basically says yoga is about not thinking so much. When you don't think so much, you'll know you're not your thoughts, and there's a consciousness underneath, and that's you. And if you think too much, then you then you become your thoughts. Okay. Mm-hmm. All that is an amazing advice. It's amazing advice. My problem is, as a surfer, it's just hard advice. It'd be like me saying to you, hey, Michael, look, we're going to go surfing at Jaws in Maui, okay? There's going to be like a 25-foot barrel that comes over your head. I want you to just grab your rail and tuck in and don't let it hit you in the head, okay? Got it? Yeah. Like, it's not that it's not good advice. It's just like you're kind of – it's kind of like – you're, getting, you're taking people to X, Y, and Z, and you're kind of like, okay, we got to start with B, C, and D, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and so that's that's my hardest thing. So my hardest thing is like, just sit down and try not to think. Was the hardest approach to meditation I ever tried? You know, I had ten years of it. Put a timer mm-hmm. on. Don't think. Empty your thoughts. You know, and we've all talked about stuff like this. You know, you get to a point, you're like, hey, look, I'm not thinking. I'm like, oh, just thinking about not thinking. Shit. And and it, uh, it just became so, uh, the best way I can describe it is cerebral. Like yeah. I was trying to, I, I was in a battle with my mind, with my mind. And it was just, it was just, I was trying to submit my mind into, like in a jujitsu hold. And it just wasn't working out. And I mean, the, the, when meditation not even nature, when meditation actually became easy for me, and I actually find meditation is easy now, and my biggest tip that I learned is when I started to work with somatic therapists, with people who did more body-based meditation, I had a teacher, Susan Napotion, who was from Naropa in, in Boulder, and um, she was amazing. And as soon as I really learned that meditation is a physical process, Mm-hmm. And if we can just self-regulate our bodies towards peace, then our minds will follow. That's when it became easy for me. When, I, when meditation was a cerebral process, oh my God, was it, I don't know. I would have glimpses of, oh yeah, that's what they're talking about. But like I say, it was yeah. an arm wrestle. 
Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And I think there's a lot of, let's call it weight, loaded onto the intellectual process or the academic understanding that we are not our thoughts, so then we need to clear our mind and dissociate with our thoughts. And therefore, by doing that, we realize that there is a the the essence of who we are underneath the thoughts. But then, you know, at the same time, you are fundamentally trying to intellectualize this whole process. And so it becomes a, uh, you know, in many ways, a, a practice of achievement of yeah. unachieving, right? Or trying to yeah. be successfully unsuccessful. And it kind of yeah. has this beautiful dichotomy of fulfilling the human intelligence as opposed to maybe the human sensation of just finding a moment of pleasurable presence, as you would say, in nature. Yeah, exactly. And um, I don't know, I, f I feel like when you're talking, it just makes me think of how much striving we have on a culture, in our culture. We want mm. that A grade, we want that gold star. And so, so many people go into it with meditation and they're like, yeah, I want to, I want to be that perfect meditator. I want to win. And I just feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I just, you know, everyone's got to take their own path. But for me, that just set me up for failure so much. And as soon as, I, as, soon as we realized, like, you already are a gold star. <laughs> you've, you're on, you made the team. You're, you've got the A grade. Just relax mm. into it now and make it enjoyable. And not a task, um, you know, is, is, it's just, I mean, to go into it from that approach is incredible. Yeah, it reminds me of a, a quote that I'm going to paraphrase or slightly butcher because I don't remember the exact quote, but it's something to the effect of knowing when it's good, when it's good. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. knowing that it's good later. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the point I was making, too, is that we kind of have this no pain, no gain mentality. So mm. unless I work really hard for something, it shouldn't come to me. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I feel like that's a major kind of cultural belief system that yeah. it's all, it's almost so... It's almost so insidious that it's like pre-installed software that we don't question. Yeah. And yeah. then when I try and approach people, I'm like, actually, meditation is easy. And if, if you take the right approach to it, but you got to actually accept that it's easy and not, like, I feel like way too many people go, oh, I want to be a spiritual person. Therefore, spiritual people, or, so spiritual people meditate. Therefore, I must sit down for 10 minutes every day and tick that box, even though quietly they don't like it. Mm. And, you know, I just, I feel like mm, that's something supposed to happen to me if I just sit down and meditate. I'm just like, actually, relax into your greatness. To, to be striving to do something is putting tension into your body, which is antithetical to a meditative process to me. Like, it, you, you actually relax into it. I mean, people ask me all the time, do you use a timer to meditate? I'm like, no. Like, do you put a timer on when you sit in the hot tub? Like, it's enjoyable. <laughs> like, just, <laughs> just in, 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 enjoy your time and go. Like, you should actually approach your meditation like you would approach 
having a massage or sitting in a hot tub, not like, oh, I must do this thing now. And like, if you could see me, I just felt when I was even emulating that, I was just tightening my hands and places. I'm like, I'm going to be perfect doing this now. And yeah, that stiffness. It, it, yeah. I don't know. For me, it just took me. I, I lived with that for many, many, many years, and I'm yeah. so grateful that somehow I stumbled across a more easy approach. And I just learned, okay, there's tension in my body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of teachers, that is a narrative that we have uh, either been prescribed to us or self-prescribed as we continue to teach on of of this is the method and this is the identifier, right? This is, it, it, I mean, a lot of it, let's call it the the Western narrative of a yoga teacher or a practitioner to say that this is what good looks like, set a timer, do the meditation, or go to class, do the sequence, as opposed to allowing yourself to just simply feel the joys that come and the benefits that we find when we figure out the path of the practice that ultimately fulfills the same within yeah. us. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's so important. I think that's why, for me, I, I often think very fondly of you and the way that you teach and the way that you hold space as giving people permission to um, experience more and actually, uh, you know, figure out what works. Right? Yeah. As we were talking, it actually occurred to me that I know we were originally talking about community. And, you know, one thing I wanted to add is, okay, obviously when I'm going out to the beach and meditating by myself, I'm radically alone. I'm not lonely, but I'm alone. And, and you know, the alone path to meditation is awesome. I love it. But I wish people knew more about the collective energy of meditation. I feel like way too many people feel like, Meditation is always a solo pursuit, and I wish, and it can be. It's amazing, like I just mentioned, but at the end of every class, every blissology class, we mm -hmm. have a um, tradition, and it's called Circle of Light, and we bring everyone in close together. So people don't end on their two foot by five foot piece of rubber in a, in a rectangle. We bring people like our ancestors did into circles where their knees actually touch each other. And um, it is amazing what happens there. Like I've had so much success with people when they're close to others. Um, mm. And I do think it comes back to the energy, that frequency. Like once one person starts broadcasting a frequency and you know I'd love to talk about heart math and how the heart gives off a signal and that actually that well we're I mean we are electrical beings and when you are giving off a current all the time and when one person drops into a state of coherence then that actually allows another person to pick up the frequency like how can I describe it like if if you're if if I say to you um, can you sing me a C note? You know, I mean, if you're a trained musician, no problem. But for a lot of people, like, I don't know what that is. But if I, you know, go to harmonic and play you a C note and you try and match that frequency, it's much easier. I mean, I feel like, like, like I told you, meditation is a physical process. So if you're actually next to somebody and they start getting their body into a certain frequency, 
then that frequency carries over into you and helps you to find the right frequency to vibrate at. And then you end up with a whole flock like of yogis that are in the same frequency. And I mean, it's really hard for me to put words on it. Uh, I, I mean, not that I can put words on it, but I mean, if you're not, if you're kind of listening to this and going, what? Just, I wish I could do it with you. Mm. Like bring a bunch of, you know, 20, 30, 40 people together into a circle and just get people to drop in. And all I can tell you is people that used to find meditation very hard, they just drop in. Um, and I feel like too much of the end game, back to the community thing of meditation, is like I'm going to be in my perfect Zafu cushion with like <laughs> my perfect, you know, eight feet of space around me in a white room with flowing white curtains in a white gown. And I'm going to just be in the Zen place. And I'm like, actually, the, the, the kind of end game is when you're connected to other people so profoundly uh, at, at an energy level, at a wordless level. Like, I mean, when we do this, I'll, I'll end the class almost always. So I'm like, okay, we're done. Like, thank you everyone for coming. And people just sit there and they'll sit there for five and 10 minutes because it just feels so good. And that's what I'm getting at. It's like, they used to think meditation was hard, but I'm like, they don't want to go home. I'm like, mm, see, there's no timer yeah. on here. Like, it yeah. just feels yeah, so just good. Stay. I mean, and that's, yeah. I mean, w one of the things that I'll always say is that if, if you want to know how powerful a class was, just listen for the sound of the ohm at the end. Yeah. Because totally. oftentimes in those moments, if the class is powerful, people are connected, the room is vibrating a certain way in this really unique and beautifully, you know, I'm going to say beautifully bizarre or interesting way, the ohm is always in tune. Whatever tune, yeah. you know, whatever tune it is, it's always in tune. Well, that's the frequency that we're talking about. It's, exactly. I mean, sounds obviously a frequency, and yeah, the ohm's an amazing process. I mean, not just for the history. It, it's just that you have to project, which we're so used to as a culture, but you also have to listen. Like you have to be in tune with the sound that someone around you is making. I think it's so beautiful because in our cities. We're just so out of sync with others. I mean, just look at mm. the way people move around each other and try to ignore each other. And yeah, the ohm is that one solid, we are definitely on the same frequency and you're 100% right. And you can hear it. Yeah. You know, you don't believe me, just listen. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I agree with you 100%. So I have a question for you on that then, Ian. And, and, and say, obviously, one of your students or your teacher students come, come to you and say, you know what? I, I see it, I feel it, it's so powerful, but maybe like I struggle with the courage or the bravery to hold that space and say, everyone come here or let's do this. Like what kind of, what kind of wisdom do you give them back if they're saying, you know what, I'm not sure I can be that guy? You mean, or are you talking about saying ohm or coming together? In a no, as in, hold, as, as in, you know, because a lot of times, you know, especially let's say if you're a newer teacher or you're kind of early on the path, you're comfortable leading your class and people oh, are on their mats oh, and then actually saying, you know, I don't think I have that personality, that, that charisma that, that Ian has to go, all right, everyone come up here and let's do this. I mean, what, what would you say to them? Well, you know, you got to own it. <laughs> you know, I went, 
you know, if it doesn't feel right to you, then may, you know it might not be. But I would love I would love to encourage them to do it. And I can only talk about like I I really want our blissology teachers to do it. And I've definitely I mean I don't think there's been one of them that's graduated and gone back and it's just been like oh my god that sounds so awkward I can't do it. But I mean all of them. What I can tell you is all of them say once I did do it. I mean actually. The whole blissology path ultimately is like my life's mission is to be a conduit for love, to feel that love isn't just coming from me, but through me. And a hundred percent of them um, have that experience of like, who's saying this? Like, what is going on here? Um, so I think that's where I probably start with people is the the reward is pretty high. Like, I think people, I always think if people know why, then they'll get to the how um, better. Um, uh, so if you know that, okay, why would you do this? It's because that um, something amazing is going to come through you and everyone else that's there if we if you put yourself into that place. And I would say that there's one thing from stopping us, and it's actually a really general thing. Like there's a, there's a whole general thing about blissology, but what I'm trying to present that is that we got to get past this vulnerability thing. If we're going to be more loving individuals, we got to get past vulnerability and just and put it mm. on the line. Put it on the line. And like, why would a teacher not want to do this experience? Like, if philosophically you don't agree with it, and you're like, no, I think people should be quiet, and I just want people. Like, I get it. But if you're like, oh, I'd love to do that, but oh my god, it, if it doesn't go right, I'd feel like a jerk. You know, like that. That's the problem. <laughs> Yeah, is that that that's that's the dragon you got to slay um, in order to get the golden experience. And, you know, so just the what you have to do is like, don't feel vulnerable. Like, and so my trick to not feeling vulnerable and it's imp it's like, honestly, truly the number one thing that I feel when I'm teaching slash sharing, whatever you want to call it is that we do is it's not. When, when I'm in my highest self, it's actually not me doing it. Like I just mentioned, I'm a conduit for love. Something's coming through me. And so if I, if I provide this experience to people and they don't like it, I'm like, well, don't shoot the messenger, man. It's not me. If you got a problem, talk to love. Like I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't. Like on the other side of it, when people are like, "Oh, I really love your class," I can't take credit. I'm like, "I'm just a radio. I'm broadcasting a signal." That was Pink Floyd. <laughs> I'm not Pink Floyd. I'm just broadcasting this music. Yeah. And so I can't take credit on the positive side. But if you get that part of it, then you can't you can't actually fail either because it's not you who's the doer anyway. <laughs> When you're in your highest self, I think that's so spot on. Am I, am I getting yeah. too esoteric, or is that making? No, sense? I think that's so great. I mean, it's really great to hear that perspective from from you and from uh, in this sense of, of realizing that we are just you know the the vessel that's letting the work pass through. We are helping broadcast the signals that are there. Where you know I often like to say we're, we're simply just the translator. You know, we are helping yep. to put it in a perspective that maybe is easier to understand. But at the end of the day, it you know the the love is there, the wisdom is there. Um, we're just simply doing our part or our best to help it 
relate or connect to to to, to our students. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's such I mean, such a great chat and and so uh, amazing to hear your perspective and the perspective of basology and the way that you approach things. I think there's a lot of learnings and points of inspirations to take away from this. Yeah. So thank you for that. One thing I did want to ask you. Yeah, can I just can I can I start, can I oh, circle yeah. back one real quick? Yeah, yeah go for it. Anything? I'll make I'll make it quick. I know we're out of time, but see this this is the whole thing because I I know community is the through line for this conversation and it's really clicking for me how important that is because I look at I just feel like meditate I feel like meditation yoga it's just a little bit it can be a little bit solitary and not solitary but we could push it further so it's not just presence it's more about love and a profound connection. And um, look, here's the whole point. I feel like, you know, I see the Muslims here. It's amazing. I see people like, I think it's so beautiful that they stop three, four times a day. Just no matter, like they, they can be in a semi truck and they'll just drop and face Mecca and pray. You're like, wow, that's so cool, that devotion. And they have amazing experiences, I know. But man, you go to Mecca where there's you know more than a hundred thousand people going around a circle in the same frequency, and your and your original question is like, what? Why is community important for this experience? Like, you can't get this that same experience as one person doing your yoga on the yoga mat. You just can't. And so, like that was your original question. It's become more clear to me uh, mm. is that. Um, like, if I have a stick of firewood, I can make kind of a little fire here. But if you have a stick of fire and, like, there's 50 people that have a stick of firewood and we bring them all together, now we got a fire, man. Mm. And that's why community is important. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, my friend. It is wonderful yeah. to hear you say all this. My question for you as we wrap, wrap this up and, and something you touched upon earlier, but I'd love to hear you kind of um, unpack it a bit, is when all is said and done, what, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm, legacy. Um, good question. My family, like I feel like actually it's funny. My, my son is now teaching me meditation. Amazing. Last two nights, I'm going to put it on my Instagram story because I like, it's like, Dad, I want to... I went to make a meditation. I filmed him. It was crazy, but it was rad. Um, but you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is actually my students, like their their family, and I, you know, I just there's such a deep love for what I'm doing, and I've invested so much time and energy into them, and um, I know the ripple effect is is, is so massive, and um, I'm just so grateful for what we share. I mean, when we do our trainings and when we come together, like, it's just the biggest joy. The cu- the community. <laughs> yeah, it's not the thing, it's the community. <laughs> I wasn't joking when I said it. <laughs> it's it's important. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean that it is the, the essential pillar uh, of what I think is important for all of us in the practice is remembering that essence that, you know, none of us are more powerful than all of us and that... You know, together there is a huge opportunity to be impactful to the world and to the world around us, but even more how much impact community can have on ourselves, our personal lives, our personal practice. And it's just such a thing that is really great to spend a little bit of time to chat and to hear your 
inspiration from it and the ways that you share it and teach it. And I think for so many people listening or people who are really, you know, wanting to dive deeper or dig in a bit more, especially maybe in this time when they're at home and they've got um, a bit more curiosity at hand, is to really um, spend time in conversations of the practice. And I think there is a lot of times, especially in a busy life, in a busy world, in a, a busy way of living, even in the yoga community, we can get very swept up in the the action of doing yoga. And I, let, let's say going to classes and doing our asana practices on the mat or sitting quietly in the meditation, all of these actions of practice that one of the things that maybe has been lacking that we can hope to inspire now is to re-elevate the importance of deep conversation around practices, Mm -hmm. perspectives that come from it. Um, And I think you share that so nicely and so beautifully and so simply to remind people of, you know, the simple things that are important. Awesome. Simplicity is one of my mantras these days for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, that was I gonna say. I was, I was gonna say, what what is you know? Do you have any personal mantras that you're that you're using or sharing these days? Yeah, first one that comes to my mind is um, you know it's been big for it's actually quite simple that I say a lot, and it's just love more now. Um, meaning, like the, it sounds like such a simple thing, oh, love more now, but actually, like right now, if you come to the now and really live in the moment of the now you will love more um, and, and don't don't hold back at all right now is the time to love people i've lost so many people in my life in the last few years that i thought i was going to see next year or next week and they're gone you just never know in this world um i just want us to push the envelope on how much more love we could bring out into the world Love more now. Love more now. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to be a part of this conversation. It means a lot, not just to the people listening, I'm sure, but also to me that you would spend some time having a little catch up and a chat. And I always, you know, as I said, think very fondly of the times I bump into you, arguably somewhere different in the world every time, but also being able to watch from afar the way that you're, um, building and creating and spreading that sense of um, yoga and nature and community. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, it goes both ways. I, I have love admiration for what you're doing. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to Likewise. go deep and connect. And thanks for all the um, forums and offerings that you're making for people. It's making a huge difference oh, as well. Thank you, my friend. For people listening at home who want to stay connected and want to maybe even dive a bit deeper into Ian and Blissology, where's the best places they can find you or connect with you? Well, everything I have is Blissology, you know, Instagram, Facebook, um, uh, the website's blissology.com. So everything's at Blissology. Amazing. Uh, should do it. Yeah. Great. And we'll obviously put up links in different comments that go with this podcast episode. Um, once again, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's listening and tuning into these podcasts. The, the whole intention with these are to continually dive deeper in the conversations around yoga, connect and reconnect the, the global yoga community, expand the ways that we can see the practice and give ourselves a chance to uh, allow ourselves to grow together. Thank you again to Ian for being a part of this episode and thank everyone for joining in. If you want to stay more connected to this podcast, 
by all means, there is this episode and lots more on the website and on the channel. If you go to your Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe and get them all every week. They come out every Sunday. Um, and we've got lots of great conversations coming up and looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Child's Pose. <laughs>